Sometimes faith can feel as cold as winter, and it can look as dark as winter too. I grew up in the cold in Wisconsin, so I understand being physically cold. But I also understand being spiritually cold, feeling distant from God because of depression, because of sickness, because of friends dying. I feel distance from God often, and I used to fight those feelings, but now I embrace them, and I sit with them. Winter Faith has become my new home. So I created the Winter Faith Podcast because sometimes faith feels like winter. What I've really enjoyed about your book, Rachel, is this idea of really looking at Jesus and how he's treating women. And, you know, you, I love how you break it down. It's very, um, like easy to follow and you like go into depth with basically like specific events in Jesus's life and how he talks to women. And I just really, I'm really enjoying that aspect of like slowly looking at the ways that um, that Jesus interacts with women. And I was wondering if there was like one story that got all the other stories going for you. There definitely was. I started with the Samaritan woman because when I was in seminary, I really just studied her a lot and wrote lots of papers on her and had the opportunity to speak at our church about her. And I found that her story really resonated with a lot of women to, Really, regardless what their history was or what their background was, um, because I think all of us at some point in our lives recognize what brokenness looks like. And that might look different for different people. For some people, it was a divorce or maybe they're widowed or just the brokenness that comes from living in the culture that we live in. We've all kind of been to this place where we've been ashamed of our brokenness or we've struggled with it. And so I found like her story really just kind of was an echo of what a lot of other women were saying in, in Bible studies and in other small groups I was in. And so for me, that one was deeply personal. And that was really the first time I was like, well, maybe I need to share this with somebody outside of just my close friend circle or my church. Maybe this needs to be a little bit bigger of a story. So that's really, um, that's how I wrote the book proposal for my publisher. I kind of just digested and, and reformatted it from a sermon format into a Bible study. And initially I was going to write it as fiction and do like a fictionalized account. And our, my publisher stopped doing fiction. They said, well, we really think that this is a Bible study. And so I didn't think I was good enough of a writer to write Bible studies yet. I thought, well, I'll just have to write some other stuff first, and then I'll build up some credibility and then write Bible studies. And they said, no, 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 we want you to do this as a Bible study. What else do you have? And so I think really The Samaritan Woman, for sure, was the first story that kind of led to the rest of the stories. But to be perfectly honest, out of all of them, um, the story of Martha, which I don't think you've gotten to that point in the book yet. but yeah, Martha, I think it's chapter five. I I had a, the hardest time with that one because I am Martha. And I mean, I feel like I am all of the women at different times in my life. But Martha came out of a scenario where 
she was just burnt out. And in the stage that I was writing this book, that's who I was. Uh, I had a heart to serve the Lord, but I had a lot of stuff to get done. And just that perpetual feeling of never getting things completed and uh, just feeling like I didn't measure up. So when I wrote the story of Martha, it was really a period of time that the Lord was really working on me and healing parts of my heart that really needed to be healed. And I feel like a lot of women can really relate, which is part of the reason why I wrote the book. Yeah, absolutely. I do think a lot of people can can relate. Um, the book comes out June 26th, 29th. 29th, yeah. That was so close. <laughs> um, yeah, so I've been fortunate to be a part of kind of the, the launch team getting to see some insider information and, and you're doing a great job making, you know, videos and sending emails and, and kind of, you know, connecting us as we're as we're going through the material. And you share um a story of going to a Bible study and feeling um very well, I don't know what the the word is, but you I just was wondering if you would not uh if you would mind just telling us that story that you um, maybe just this week um, or last week maybe told about just a time in your life where you felt kind of the weight of that brokenness that you talked about earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, There was a season in my life um, where I was a, a young single mom, and I was a single mom because of um circumstances. I did not set out to be divorced. I am a Christian that does not believe in divorce. I think that God can and does redeem a lot of things. Um, but unfortunately, you have to have both people wanting that redemption story. And if one person doesn't, you know, you don't always have a choice in, in how other people act in their choices. And so I, I found myself in this position where I was really, really broken. I, you know, was a single mom of a toddler and, and a newborn baby. And you know, living off of coupons and WIC and um, the generosity of other people. And I just was in a season where there was so much broken about my heart, about my spirit, just everything. I, I wasn't even going to church at the time. And if I did go to church, I, I would be so hurt that I wouldn't go to, go back for another six months. And so I, I kind of got up the, the guts to go to church, and they were doing like a small group fair where you could sign up for small groups. And I signed up for one at the pastor's house because I thought, well, surely that one should be safe. And when I went to that small group, it was about 40 minutes away from where I live, and I was working full-time, of course, like 70 hours a week at the time. So I tried to hurry up and get my kids something to eat. They ate in the car on the way there. It was a struggle for me to get there on time. But I was committed because I knew I needed community. I needed to be around people that would love me. And when I got there, I was a little bit early because, of course, I couldn't, I didn't know exactly where I was going. And when I, when I went into the house, I just got, I was met with this, like, blank stare, like, Oh, crap, she's here. And I didn't realize it at the time, but this had been a Bible study traditionally that they had done for married couples. And there was no indication of that when I signed up on the list, or or I otherwise probably wouldn't have signed up for that. But what I realized quickly was that I was not welcome. It was almost as if my brokenness was contagious, that, you know, that here's this divorced single mom. Uh, there's something wrong with her, so we can't, you know, co-mingle with her. And as they kind of went around the room to share the different things that God had put on their hearts or whatever, they completely skipped over me. Mm. Obviously saying that I did not have a voice into that conversation, Um and and it was even so much so that if I went to sit, I just went to sit down on the couch. Well, the the women that were on that side of the couch got up and moved to the other side of the room. 
And I just remember thinking, like, I, I don't even know you people. You don't know me. And you are automatically judging without even knowing the circumstances of why I'm even here. And I, it was just so clear that I was not welcome. So I honestly packed my kids up. Not one person said one word. It was silent. They watched me pack my kids up and leave. And I walked through the kitchen. I get to the car. And I realize, um, as I'm putting the kids in the car, that there's three cars parked behind me. And there's no way for me to leave. And so I just, you know, honestly, I wept. I thought, man, now i got to go back in there in front of all these people who don't even want me here and ask them for their help. And, oh, it was so degrading. And so when I went back in, I asked them, you know, if they would move their cars, not one word. Not one word like, hey, why are you leaving? Or I'm sorry if we didn't make you feel welcome. Nothing. They just moved their cars, and I left. And um, there was no conversations, anything like that. And that following week, I did go back to church that following week, and I was passing the pastor in the hall. And as I passed him, his eyes met mine, our eyes locked, and he just turned his head away and was not even one word. And I thought... If this is how the pastor treats me, I'm I'm not welcome here. And honestly, I stopped going to church. And it was um, probably another year or two before I even dared step foot into another church. And mm-hmm. I just remember thinking, like, the church should be the place where pe- broken people go to find healing, not more rejection, especially when you don't know the circumstances. And it was almost like I was carrying the plague with me that they didn't want to get it. And, you know, I think what I think back on now is um, – my life is completely different now. I've been remarried for 12 years to an amazing man of God. But I look for those people in the room now. I look for those people that are carrying their brokenness. And um, I, I know what it means to, to feel broken. And I know what it means to have somebody be kind and to offer a, a, just a helping hand. And so I think that's kind of the calling that I have now is to really reach into those broken spaces and help people walk alongside of them and then point them to Christ. Because that's really where the healing comes from. And I and I don't begrudge those situations in my life. I think they taught me a lot about um, how God is more dependable than people are sometimes even, and how I don't want to be treated in my own brokenness. And I think a lot of times what happens in our churches is we ignore the brokenness because we don't know what to do with it. And the reality is, is I don't know what to do with all the broken people I interact with. I don't, but I I can love them and I can stand beside them, even if I don't know what to say, if they're grieving or whatever it is. I can I can just have my hand on their hand and just help them to know that I'm there with them. And I think sometimes that's all we need is just to be alongside somebody in their brokenness. What do you think are you know when you think of women in the church? What are those areas of brokenness? You know, I think, um, you know, one thing that we've been talking about this week, even with the study, is divorce. Divorce is something that the evangelical church does not want to talk about. And the reality is, is we live in a climate where 50% of divorces, uh, or I'm sorry, 50% of marriages end in divorce. And those statistics right. are higher in the church than they are out of the church. So you have that. That's mm-hmm. a big one. Um, another one is abortion, especially for women that came to faith after they've had an abortion. The okay. guilt. And the shame that they carry with them, it's something we do not talk about it in churches. And, um, you know, even just having a place for women to share their brokenness before Christ, um, that's something that needs to be healed. And if we're not offering opportunities for that, they're going to carry that with them. Um, I think even in the climate that we're in right now, um, especially coming out of this COVID season, anxiety and depression is super yeah. high. And for people that have never experienced anxiety and depression before, they're experiencing it now because they've been in isolation. And so as they're starting to come out of, 
you know, their quarantines and coming back into the public, even just reaching into those spaces. Um, you know, there have been people that have lost, lost their jobs and, you know, family members. There's grief. Um, I think grief is another one, too. I think what we've done, especially for women that are in leadership in the church, what I found, um, I went through a period of probably about two years of nonstop grief because I lost both of my grandparents two years apart, the, my grandparents that raised me. And mm-hmm. so what it felt like was that there was an acceptable amount of time I was allowed to grieve. It was two weeks. And after that two weeks, I needed to snap out of it and, and roll with the punches. And, you know, it takes it takes you almost two years just to catch your breath from a significant loss. And then I had another one on top of it. And then we had another close staff member, um, a pastor's wife, passed away. And so we had just this season of grief where it was like, man, why don't we allow space for leaders to grieve? We don't we don't do that. We have this expectation that you can just take your two weeks to grieve and then and then, you know, you just need to get it together. And. Honestly, that's not the reality of it. The reality is as leaders are people. You know, we, we're just walking in obedience to what God's called us to do. It doesn't mean that we all ha- have it figured out. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I don't have it figured out. That's why I need Jesus. I mean, that's the only reason why I even wrote the book is because I want women to understand that that brokenness that we have is the very thing that he came to rescue us from. Yeah. Yeah, you you um, you kind of mentioned... Like, I didn't think any guys would read this book except my husband. And for, like, for me, like, I am honestly really curious, like, what do women think of Jesus when they read the Samaritan woman story? What do, like, I want to know, you know, I don't think I've always been like this, but I don't know. I mean, I feel like even a lot of my best friends growing up were, um, were girls, were women in the youth group. And, like, I, I think I've always, just appreciate the perspective and maybe because of my mom or my sister or now my wife, like I've always, it's like, we all have women, <laughs> we all have mothers, like, you know, and so I'm always fascinated by like, what do people think of um what Mary went through? And you talk about Mary a little bit because Mary has typically been like, oh, there's like the Catholic church talks about Mary and everybody else, we have no idea what to do with Mary, yeah. you know? And so I like that. I think you start off the book talking about Mary. But, yeah, I honestly want to know what you think, you know, as a leader, as a pastor, as a woman. Like, what do you think of Jesus? And I think it's because, like, just me, like, I always want to know what people think about Jesus. Because I think it's if you really study Jesus, he's the most interesting person that's ever lived. Like, mm-hmm. who he stood up to, who he called out who he befriended, you know, it's hard to be more interesting. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think the, the reason, the real reason why I wrote this book was I have been in a position of church leadership for a long time and not yeah. necessarily in my church, but in that role of church leadership, yeah. there are a lot of circles where female leaders are silenced because just because they're female and regardless of the calling or the anointing or the position that God has given that woman, um, there's a tendency to, li- at the very least, listen to her second because the man gets listened to first. And then a lot of times that woman that's sitting at the table, even if it is 100% spot on with what whatever God's heart is for the situation, it's always a secondary opinion. And as I have been teaching women across the country and actually across the globe, I found that this was very, very common and a lot of women really felt 
that their voice did not matter. And I had been going through something very similar to that. I had a scenario where I had expressed something that I really felt burdened by, and I was just kind of brushed off to the side. And then um, another male leader walked into the room, said almost verbatim the exact same thing I did, and he was taken seriously. And I thought, Hmm. like, it's not even like it was the next day. It was literally minutes later. And I thought, you know what, this is not what God wants for us. If God has put me in a position of leadership, I don't care if it's a children's pastor or a women's pastor or an outreach pastor or whatever it is. If it's in a position of leadership, there's a reason for that. And we have a tendency within the church to ignore that. And so I, you know, spent some time and I remember very, very clearly as I was in worship, the Holy Spirit said to me, Rachel, you do hear me. And it was such a healing moment for me because I just felt God's presence so strongly, and he was speaking to that very place of insecurity. And so as I started studying, I started this Bible study really for my own, you know, peace of mind. Like, what does Jesus have to say about women? And how does Jesus call me and equip me and empower me? And really, it was through that whole process that I was like, this is really, this is much bigger than me. This, women need to hear this, because the way that Jesus treats women should be the model for all men, how they treat women, whether it's mm-hmm. their pastors, co-pastors, you know, even clerks at the store. I mean, that the amount of, of respect or, or love or compassion or kindness, that should be the model. But unfortunately, that's not always the case. So one of the things that, you know, I started this podcast is to talk about um, winter faith, which I describe as moments that you feel distant from God. And, you know, that can be weeks. That can be months, that can be years, but I'm just wondering, I'm sure this is, you know, hopefully related to things you've been talking about, but like, what have been those really strong winter periods for you and and how did you deal with them? I'd say overcome, but you know, some people haven't overcome them, but yeah. You know, I... Of course, I I went through moments like that when I was, um, you know, younger and got divorced and all those kinds of things. Um, I think the most recent was after I had finished up a season of very public ministry um, right at the beginning of the pandemic. And um, shortly before the pandemic started or right at the very beginning of the pandemic, I transitioned from a local church ministry position into a missions position with a global orphan care organization. But of course, um, travel is non-existent right now, global travel. And so it, it changed my ministry from being very public out in front of the public four or five times a week in, involved with a lot of people to just like on my computer in my bedroom. Mm-hmm. And you no, know, it was so radically different of anything I had experienced. However, I was also very burnt out because I had gone through this period of grief. I was, um, you know, way, doing way too much stuff at the time, like just taking on more and more and more and more and not saying no to anything. And I had really gotten to a place where I was doing ministry because I needed the paycheck. It was no longer about just the overflow of my heart. And so I, I kind of entered into this season where, you know, we call it uh, the dark night of soul is what you'll hear it called a lot. I, I just entered a dark night where, like, I knew God was there, but I couldn't see him. I couldn't feel him. I knew intellectually that God would never let me go. But as far as that relationship, relationally, I could not feel him. And I knew to walk in obedience and to continue to walk that line. But 
I really liken it to kind of what the prophet Elijah went through, and I called it really my season of hiddenness because hmm. Elijah goes through several times in his life where God hides him. He was hidden by a river where God sent ravens to feed him. And for me, what started happening was um, in my season of hiddenness, you know, a podcast would, would the Winter Faith podcast would come on. Or um, I, I was in, I'm in graduate school online, and my one of my professors would send me a message that was spot on to what I needed. Or um, even somebody I was working with on the other side of the world in Uganda, one of our pastors in Uganda, sent me a message and said, hey, I'm praying for you. I want you to know this is what God put on my heart for you today. And so mm-hmm. God started sending me these ravens, which it looked different than anything I had ever experienced. It was something I didn't expect. It wasn't traditionally how God worked in my life, but yet um, I could see just the, this way that God was starting to feed me and nourish me and take care of me, even though I was hidden away. And then another season in Elijah's life, he's hidden in the cave. And I really felt like that because, you know, when Elijah's in the cave, um, God, God was not in the earthquake. He wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the fire. It was that still small voice that called him out. And I went through a lot, especially during COVID, when there was a lot of funerals and a lot of pain and a lot of sorrow. Normally, I would have been on the front lines ministering to people. And even though I had an ache to do that, it wasn't the season that God had for me because it was time for me to heal. And so I stayed hidden, and I let God continue to send ravens to feed me and to nurture me. And that's also when I started really hashing out the book and writing the book. And so as I wrote the book, that's kind of what pulled me out of it. I mean, I really spending all the time in the Word and listening, really listening to what Jesus had to say and tuning out all of the voices of the world and anything that I might have thought and just listening in, okay, I'm going back to the basics. Jesus, what do you say about me? What do you want from me? And really, that's kind of what pulled me out of it. Um, you know, and of course, we're still under some, you know, restrictions with COVID and those kinds of things, but um, it's Right now, especially now that the book's coming out and I'm having to talk to all these people, and I I feel so much more refreshed in the sense that when I finished that book, it was almost like the season of healing was complete, and God said, okay, now it's time to go help other people get here, too. So for me, that really, the process of writing was almost like an act of worship out of obedience, and it wasn't necessarily that I felt like I needed to do it, but I knew that that's the only way I was going to get through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's, it, it is, it's beautiful to hear how God used the past year for so many people. And past, you know, I guess it's been over a year now. But it was this like challenging time of, you know, you say like hiddenness or like isolation. Have you talked to people that the past year has been like really devastating for them? And like, what do you, how do you help somebody else like as they process? kind of a like a tough season well you know my husband's in the medical field he's a nurse and so he has seen uh firsthand some of just the devastation that this has caused beyond that um you know one of the things that we did together is a, a very public ministry where we did i did outreach and so um, a lot of the outreach ministries have been stopped, and a lot of people prior to the pandemic were really dependent on outreach ministries. And so what we've seen is, um, 
you know, small businesses closing, mom and pop stores and restaurants closing, where it's been generations uh, in the family and they just can't make ends meet. And so um, a lot of people just feel like the rug has been ripped out from underneath them. And the thing that I think I keep going back to is um, really exposing the foundation of what we're standing on. And um, as hard as that is, I think for me, I, I stood on the foundation of um, – I'm a pastor and I do ministry and I, you know, have all these programs that I'm running and that became my identity. So then when that was all stripped away, I mean, we weren't even allowed to go to church. We weren't, you know, we we're not right. allowed more than three people or something outside of our family. So when that was all stripped away, I had to look and say, okay, well, what is my foundation? My foundation has to be Christ because all this other stuff is getting stripped away. And so I think that has really been the, the standpoint of um, ministry when people are just kind of, you know, in the thick of it, um, kind of reminding them who God says they are, who he is, who he wants to be for them. And really going back to that passage um, in John where he, he says, apart from me, you know, we can do nothing apart from Christ, nothing. So um, coming back to that foundational aspect of the bottom line is the bottom line, that, that foundation of who Christ is has to be our building block. And so if we're going to attempt rebuilding in any capacity, um, whether that's spiritually, emotionally, physically, that foundation being Christ is really where we have to start. And kind of helping people refine their identity. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that part of what I hear you saying is like you, you, you went through like figuring out, okay, who am I? And like so many other people, like, I mean, if you take away like, my job or my family or my podcast or something like who am I like when you get stripped down to that that's such an important question and probably something I don't want to think about that much you know that's such a good a good way like when you strip everything away who are we and if we you know for people that um you know that have faith I feel like we can we can go back to to what scripture says and what Christ says and I wonder like what do people do when they don't have that foundation i think that's something i struggle with yeah and i and i think that's part of the reason why um we as believers have to be willing to share that message with others i think um the harvest is plentiful right now there's so many people that need a savior that they need Mm -hmm. to hear the message of hope of the gospel and um, I, I think what we've seen historically throughout church history is after there's been a shared trauma, whether it's war or, uh, you know, pandemics in the past or some sort of shared societal trauma, that's when after that, when we've historically seen some of the great revivals throughout church history. And so what that tells me is even on a psychological aspect, people are looking for something to believe in. They're looking for something to have hope with. And so what better time to get out and share the message of the gospel because people need hope and we have that hope as believers. And so we have a responsibility to be sharing that hope with people that don't not know, don't know yet. Yeah, no, absolutely. That, that is really interesting to think about. I don't think I had quite thought about that. Like, you know, but it makes sense. Like there's this great kind of like, yeah, like a great awakening that happens, you know, after things have been silent and, you know, just the pandemic and how tough it's been, like the millions that are still on unemployment and all the families affected, you know, by, you know, through death. It's like, I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to find hope. 
<laughs> it can be tough sometimes, even, you know, even though I'm a believer, it can be tough um, to find yeah. that hope sometimes. Yeah, there was one mom um, that I knew that, you know, had never, both mom and dad had jobs, you know, nice cars, nice house, all of that. And both of them lost their jobs during the pandemic. Hmm. Um, or at least they weren't, it was like in that season where nobody kind of knew if they were getting unemployment and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I remember we were still doing the food pantry at that point and she came through the food pantry line so full of shame because she needed a box of food from the food pantry and she was used to being somebody that could donate to the food pantry and I thought this needs to be what the church does. This needs to be who the church is, is standing in the gap for people when they are hurting and when they're, you know, for whatever reason, whether not that she needed to have shame, but she still felt shame. The enemy kind of used that situation to give her shame. And so I think what we have seen, too, is people have experienced emotions that they've never experienced before. And I think that's, like I said earlier, where we're looking at anxiety or, um, you know, I think a common fear for a lot of moms especially is, am I going to be able to feed my kids? Um, you know, we went through a season when there was no toilet paper at Walmart. I mean, that is that you don't even know to be worried about until it happens. And so I think for a lot of people, too, now they're almost kind of like walking on eggshells, like what's going to happen next? I need to be super prepared. So I think for me what I've been trying to do is bring people back to God's Word so they can read for themselves. What does God say about me? What does God say about this situation? What do I know to be true? What are the stepping stones in my life where I can look back and I can see God's faithfulness so that I can have faith that He's going to be there in the future? Yeah. Well, again, I want you to have, you know, have a few minutes to tell us, you know, when the book comes out, when we can, you know, where we can buy it, and uh, just what what other platforms we can find you on. Um, well, the book is called She Hears, Learning to Listen to Jesus, and it is available on Amazon for pre-order right now. Um, if you go to shehears.org or on uh, Instagram, I am she hears, or on Facebook, it's the She Hears Facebook page. They, I have a link everywhere to the Warner Press publisher, because right now, between now and June 22nd, they're offering 20% off for pre-orders. And so you can also get it at my website, shehears.org. I'll have some copies available there. And um, pretty much any Christian bookstore, um, mostly anywhere books are sold, you can you can get a copy of it. Awesome. And then you have a podcast as well. Yeah, the Shears podcast, it's fairly new, but um, I did a series of just kind of looking at the desires of the heart, and then we are transitioning into uh, the She Hears Bible study, and we're kind of going behind the scenes and just hearing some of the heart and the struggle behind each of the chapters and some things I couldn't include in the book because of uh, space and time and all of that, but just kind of picking apart each of those women in each of those chapters and kind of translating that to what that might look like in our everyday lives. Yeah. Well, thanks for taking some time. Again, it's uh, She Hears, but it's available to pre-order now. And I think it's great. So thank you so much for taking time today. Thanks for listening to this show today, everybody. I just want to give a few shout-outs. Today's music, the one and only Josh Cleveland. Today's artwork and all the Winter Faith artwork and digital design, Dominique Montaigne. The intro was done by Scarlet Fox, and I am just grateful to be creating and editing this podcast. My name is Andy Frazier. Find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at The Winter Faith Podcast. Subscribe, subscribe on 
all those platforms, and also we are on Patreon if you would like to support the show, and also leave a review on iTunes at The Winter Faith Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Thank you.